Well, this morning as we get into God's Word, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Philippians chapter 1. We'll get there here in a few moments. But by way of introduction, maybe to get to know a little bit about myself and, and Tracy and our family, but a little bit about the process that has taken place over the last uh, few years to really get me, us, to this place. And it really fits and coincides with the message this morning as we look at God and his sovereignty. We look at how God works and operates in our life. And so I'd like to help you to see a little of what I see from God's perspective uh, in, in how he's directed along the way. So I served as a pastor for 27 years in, in several churches, uh, the last 19 being just uh, over in Gladstone at Gladstone First Baptist Church. But in 2019, I, we felt that it was probably time for me to step down. And so Tracy and I made the decision that I would um, retire, if you want to call it that. Uh, pastors never really retire, nor should you as Christians retire from what God wants us to be and do. But we decided to retire from vocational pastoral ministry. And really, from that vantage point, seeing God's provision and how he's been operating, we really put... That ministry, the full-time gospel uh, pastoral ministry in the rearview mirror and thinking that was it. Uh, little did we know what God had in store. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, during the time since 2019, I was doing some pulpit supply and uh, teaching here and there. And I'm involved with a ministry overseas in Europe. And so have a privilege of teaching with them uh, from time to time. And so, you know, those things occupy your time to some degree. Certainly, as Kevin mentioned, been part of the Gladstone uh, Police Department chaplaincy since its inception and uh, also became a chaplain for the fire department. And you can really put in a lot of time there and effort if you, you so desire. It gives you a lot of bandwidth to, to minister. But uh, needless to say, you know, those things kept me focused to a, a degree. Um, I also should mention that... Um, you know, when I did take this uh, time off, if you want to call it that, I, uh, Tracy and I decided, let's take a year to explore what everybody else has been doing. When you're in pastoral work, you know, you're focused. And so we said, let's take a Sunday a week and go check out all the, the churches around in this area and see what they're doing and see what we're missing or not. <laughs> but Kevin was very quick is when this all took place. Hey, come, come over to Calvary and come check us out. And so we did. And really that kind of came the standard for comparison. <laughs> did it measure up in the worship? Did it measure up in the preaching? Did it measure? It's not I being a little facetious, but really I would say there's a degree of truth to that because we always knew that card could get played. We'll land back in Calvary maybe if, but we never saw anything that measured up. So, you, you know, Good church here, and we, we, we liked it then, we liked it now, and hopefully we'll like it in the future. <laughs> so, but as you all know, in 2020, which was just about the year's end of our exploration, uh, COVID hit. And uh, I would have to say that because Calvary chose to be bold and keep your doors open during that time, even though the government said otherwise, that's why we came, because we wanted to be in fellowship. We wanted to be live, not on video. And, and so that really was a, an inspiration, one of the inspirations, to connect and stay here, or come back and, and make this our, our church home. So we've been here you know, roughly three years, kind of been incognito to some degree, sit over there and the, over there, been a home group leader, and you know, connecting along the way. But really, never, ever, ever 
I say ever, thinking that vocational ministry was going to be a part because we just wanted to plug in, be faithful, serve, and, and enjoy some retirement. <laughs> Well, you know, and Tracy's a full-time, uh, she works full-time. She's a teacher in the Gresham Barlow School District. And I also wanted to take the season that God had given me to bless her and really re reply back to what she had done so faithfully for so many years as being a great pastor's wife and supporting me and helping me and, and doing a lot of things sacrificially. And hey, I can now make her breakfast and lunch and do the dishes and clean the house a little, little bit. And... <laughs> So, you know, so there's that reciprocity that was, was going on during this season that I felt it was important. I also should let you know that my mother, my widowed mother, joined us in 2012, and she lived in an apartment downstairs in our house. But during the latter part of, of 2022, her health began to decline. And so, you know, it became more of a tether to me. If I had ever thought about doing things more than I was doing, my mom was priority. And I really believe in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where it talks about taking care of the widows and the, what we should be doing for our parents and, and really sought to honor that and let my mom live with us as long as possible. And so that became, I would say, one of my major ministries was taking care of her. Well, 2023 became a significant transition uh, time in our life. My mom, uh, her declining health came to the point where she did pass away in March of, of last year. And so there was that season of mourning. Her memorial was in May. Uh, we did some traveling uh, last summer. Uh, but then uh, we uh, were also having my daughter and my granddaughter live with us uh, while my son-in-law was deployed in Korea. So we had them in our home during the, that season. I was asked to speak at a conference in Switzerland, and so I was preparing for that and went to teach in October for that. But October ended, and I flew back home November 1st. And Tracy and I, and really it was, I would say this is, a revelation of sorts because I really never thought about it. We looked at each other when I came home and going, this is the first time in 32 years that we've been empty nesters. We never knew anything other than kids living in the house, my mom living in our house, you know, now daughter and granddaughter living back in our house. You knew, if you know anything about that, that occupies your time and attention. And it was like, whoa, what are we going to do? What's the next steps? And, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't know. But as you all know, there was a bump in the road in early November and staff transition that took place here. And Kevin became the senior pastor. And not too long after that, Kevin comes to the house. Mm -hmm. Brian, I'd like you to consider being my associate pastor, whoa, what? <laughs> you know, that, uh, that did not uh, come with any anticipation or any thoughts that that was going to ha happen. That did not <laughs> even come into my brain white at all. I was very content in retirement. And, you know, but how do you say no to that face? <laughs> So, you know, and my wife is looking at me, and, and she says, you know, Brian, you still have more to offer. And I go, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> 
And so, but, you know, Kevin and I have shared a great friendship, and uh, we've iron sharpened together, and I've appreciated him so much, and the value of, of our camaraderie and ministry at this, as chaplains, and just talking theology and Bible and ministry, and, and, and just, is like, this seems like such a, a wonderful fit. And, and I, you know, I just couldn't dream that that this would would take place. But you know what? Going on the sovereignty of God and the process that God designs with us, six months ago, if you had asked me that, there would have been no way. You know, I just, you know, I'm just coming off my mom's passing. I got kids at home and, you know, got other things that I'm thinking about. There's just, there was no way. But you can see how God was preparing the way and kind of clearing the deck and making this possible. And so I give thanks to God and appreciate so much uh, that, uh, Kevin, you've extended the call, elders and board and staff, deacons, you've been so affirming and so encouraging, and I appreciate that. And it just is a a wonderful uh, opportunity that I'm so blessed with. And if you're new to this church, I just want to say, you know, this is a good church. (laughs) We've been, we're kind of newbies, so, you know, we'll be newbies together and and press on together. So I would say stick around because God's got good things going here and has good things. I think, I I remember Mike Carroll when he prayed one of those initial prayers when difficulties were all, and said, this is good. Well, it's good because we have a good God, don't we? We serve a good God that's overseeing and orchestrating and planning, and he's done things, he's doing things, and he will continue to do things. And so I'm grateful for that. Let me give you just a little quick background on myself, my family, so you can kind of understand. We won't take too long on this, but I accepted Christ when I was 20 years old in the Navy. Uh, I was in uh, California at a ministry, uh, through the ministry of what's called the Navigators. It's a ministry primarily to the uh, military and uh, college people, but they really showed me the way, the truth, and the life. They were living it out. They were fired up for the Lord, and I was, had lived in darkness. I shared a lot of my testimony yesterday at the men's breakfast. won't take time to, to deal with the darkness, but he, he called me out of darkness. He called me out of a lot of stuff. And that ministry really helped me to get into the word and let the word of Christ dwell richly within me and help me to to become one of his disciples and to live for him. And so through that, uh, I saw as I was sharing my faith and helping other young men express their lives and help, in a sense, nurturing and developing growth, even though I was still relatively young, I really sensed God was calling me into the ministry and calling me to become a pastor or a missionary at that time was really more of a passion because I was overseas at the time when some of this was going on. Uh, but God had narrowed that down as I went to San Diego uh, a few years later through, uh, while I was in the Navy and got transferred over there, got involved with a local church, met my wife. And so we got married in 1983. Um, and through that course of time, we determined we'd come up to Oregon to go to seminary and become uh, established that way, and then became uh, involved with a local ministry starting in about 1992, uh, began pastoring. And so that process has continued as we uh, are pressing on for the Lord and and that type of uh, world of operation from uh, local church ministry. Uh, I have a picture of my kids here and my family just to give you a little flavoring of them. God has blessed us with three beautiful uh, gals that we uh, raised, and uh, they married three great men. I heard... uh, 
Trout Creek was mentioned. So all three of my girls worked at, our girls worked at uh, different Christian camps, one at Trout Creek and two at Tadmore. And while they were working there, they met their future husbands who were also working at camp. Now, I don't know if there's, that's in the DNA of Christian camp, but it sure found its way into our world, didn't it? <laughs> and we're blessed. We're very thankful for uh, the men they've chosen and the kids that they've born. Our, we have four grandkids, uh, two, uh, one uh, uh, daughter, a granddaughter, and three uh, grandsons. And so I get to do boy things now with my boys and my grandkids. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, there's only so much a boy can do with Barbies, okay? You know, with me playing with them. I, I, <laughs> so you know, now I can, uh, I can beat them up and play with them and roughhouse with them and do boy things. It's, uh, it's fun stuff. And so I'm very thankful for what God has done to give us uh, our children. By the way, I should mention that Tracy and her, we both accepted Christ about the same time in 1997. So while I was still away, of course, didn't know her, she actually attended Calvary Chapel in San Diego. Huh? Is that what I say? Oh, 90, no, 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 we're not, yeah. 77, 77, way back, okay. <laughs> Way back. So, yes, in uh, 1977, she attended Calvary Chapel in, um, in San Diego, and so she's had a, f- a flavor of that. So this is really my first opportunity to be a part of Calvary Chapel uh, family. So that's a little bit about ourselves and a little bit about what's going on, and I hope to share a little more as time goes on as its relevance to help you understand God's Word and God's way. But we want to come to God's Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn uh, this morning to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18. And read to verse 26 as we think about and look at a joyful perspective. Would you join in standing as we read these words together? Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says in verse 18, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. And I will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager or earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know what I should choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having desires to depart and be with Christ, which is much more better for me. Yet, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You may be seated. So as we read these verses, which is kind of the part two of what we began last week when we looked at Paul's talking about his imprisonment, you see a perspective that Paul has. And this, this perspective is hopefully something that you and I can glean for our own lives. And, and that is, is that there's this joyful perspective about life in the midst of difficulties and suffering. Now, I want to kind of introduce that to you by using a very simple illustration, a glass of water. <laughs> I have a glass of water. That's what? 
got some water in it. Is it half full or is it half empty? You, you choose. <laughs> Both are correct, right? I can say this is a half full glass or I can say it's a half empty glass and both are correct but the question is is your perspective if it's half full you're anticipating that you know, what is there is good enough and maybe it's not all there but it could be sufficient if it's half empty you think where's the rest of it not enough not right and so, you know, you think about your perspective on life, and we think about how we view life in many respects. You know, you could use the terms optimism or pessimism to describe that. You know, we don't use those words here in the scripture, but Paul seems to certainly have a very joyful perspective, a positive perspective on his life and life in general as we understand it from scripture. And so I want you to kind of evaluate when you think of life, how do you see it? How do you look at life in terms of how is God in it? Is he sufficient? Is he capable? Is he the sovereign who's overseeing and directing? And, and you know that, you trust in that, you're in his grip? Or I'm not sure. Why are you doing this, God? What's up? Why do I have to go through this? And it must be that you don't love me or care for me or, you know, the list could go on and how we evaluate our circumstances or our situation and to try to discern what's up, half full, half empty. So let's, before we get into these verses, let's do a little review to understand what Paul has been up to here as he's written to this very wonderful church at Philippi. In verses 1 to 11, uh, Pastor Kevin introduced us to this joyful partnership, talking about this church that God has blessed Paul with. And I say that because Paul is a servant. He's been out preaching the gospel, doing the gospel work, transitioned to the work to the Gentiles, the non-believing Jews, and has planted this church in his second missionary journey, came back through there in his uh, third missionary journey. But as we read this, we see a great deal of reciprocity. Paul loves his church, but this church loves him. And they've been supporting him, and they've been affirming him. And notice these words. Just read with me uh, these words that we find in verses uh, 3 to 8 to kind of get a picture of what we mean by how endearing this church was to Paul. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. You know, he, nowhere else do we see that in any of his writings, how he's like, I like you guys, and I'm so thankful for you. you know, in other words, they were apparently a very healthy church, unlike some as we have studied Corinthians, and they had so many problems, so much sin. We find in the way Paul is addressing the church at Philippi, I mean, they had some issues that needed to be encouraged and maybe exhorted, but nothing of serious nature. And so he was just so thankful for how they've operated and how they've lived the, the Christian life. Verse 4, always offering prayer with joy, not with sorrow or pain, but with joy in my every prayer for you. In view of your participation or your koinonia, this, this idea that they partnered with him in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And in that wonderful verse, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. This knowing that God started a good thing is going to continue processing God's work and operation in the gospel until he comes again, Jesus returns. And so, you know, that's a great promise for us today as well. Uh, we talked about that yesterday at the men's breakfast. Wonderful verse for you to memorize and to, to really uh, let the, those words sink in deep. And then verse 7, it says, for it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Wow, that's so endearing, isn't it? I mean, you don't see that with Paul and uh, how he's really talked about churches. He's talked about people, individuals, Timothy, Paphroditus, others we you know, will talk about in the, in the days to come, but not a church. You, I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and my defense and the confirmation of the gospel, all of you are partners or partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I got to say, Kevin, I see this here. I see your love for the people and, and, and Josh and Liam and the other staff and, and the elders. I see your love for the people, but I see the love right back. And I, I just, you know, I'm just so encouraged. I mean, there's, there's a lot of love here. <laughs> there's a lot of affection. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you all for that because a healthy church is not always common. And I, I see health here, and it's, it's really good. And so, you know, even, you know, how would, how would you write your letter to CCSE. And I, I would assume you'd have all these words and more to, to address them uh, in this way. And then the uh, verses 12 to 18, we make a transition and see how Paul is now talking about himself and his imprisonment. And so as we begin to think about Paul, we got to realize that Paul in his gospel work, he got around in a lot of different ways and got in a lot of trouble along the way. <laughs> um, you know, in other words, when he was out preaching and going to different cities, uh, we know he got imprisoned uh, a number of times. And it, it kind of makes me think, as Tracy and I uh, enjoy traveling and we go to, to different places, one of the first things we do is check out, where's the good coffee? Because <laughs> I know ultimately we're going to find that and go there, right? Well, being a little facetious, I kind of wonder if Paul, when he goes into a city, he'd go scope out the local prison and go, hmm, uh, <laughs> I might be in there someday, so I better check it out and make sure. <laughs> so, and, and that's no different here. Is, is Paul on his, uh, make a long story short, what we're seeing in, as he's writing this is he's in prison in Rome. Um, he, as we read at the very end of Acts 28, uh, he had been under what we would call kind of a house arrest, a limited confinement, but yet he was still in confinement, waiting his uh, trial with the emperor. Now, as we read here in Philippians, we believe that he's probably been transitioned into that rented apartment that he had, and now he's with the Praetorian Guard, probably getting ready for his, uh, his trial. And so it's, he's moved because he uses much more, I would call it acute terminology about his chains and imprisonment. Now, the Praetorian Guard was the emperor's elite group you know, of the Roman army. Uh, they were his personal bodyguards. They were his uh, intelligence gatherers. And so, I mean, so Paul now is in their midst 
And so we're, we're, we're really not sure timing-wise when everything happened, but he's now probably in much more scrutinous uh, consideration and, and not really probably enjoying what's going on until he waits his, uh, his uh, trial. We believe that, uh, Nero, uh, well, could have been Nero, but we believe that he was pardoned and he was released and we, maybe he went to Spain because he does talk about that and in, in the Romans about going and hoping to visit in Spain. He was re-arrested uh, under Nero. And, and this was during the time after Rome had burned. And so they were ticked off at the Christians or trying to make the Christians the bad guys. Paul was imprisoned. And when we read in First and, or Second Timothy as he's awaiting, he knows he's about ready to, to, to get it. He's about ready to die. And he knows his days are numbered. And he says, I've run the race. I've finished the course. There's laid up for me treasures in heaven. So this is a different part of his imprisonment uh, scenario. So we're, here we're in, in Philippians, we're reading about this first time of imprisonment in, in Rome. And so uh, we, we see what happens as a result of Paul's imprisonment. Notice what we read here uh, in, verse, uh, in verse, verse 13. It says, so that my imprisonment and the cause for Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. So, wow. You know, so, in other words, God used his imprisonment. This is, again, the sovereignty of God in this wonderful process or progress. He uses difficult circumstances to make his work being done. So, he let his light shine. He shared. And he somehow, he, you know, these elite uh, group knew about Jesus, knew about Paul as Jesus' uh, ambassador, and made a difference, no doubt, along the way. But then also notice the second part of this. It says that the believers got fired up because of Paul's imprisonment. In verse uh, 14, it says, and that most of the brothers trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And that word courage could mean daring, they were bold. You know, seeing Paul there and seeing Paul live it out and seeing Paul's, I assume, his perspective, meaning he wasn't, oh, he was still steadfast in his faith, fired up the believers there. And so they started sharing their faith even more. But what's interesting, and, and we don't exactly know the, the, the issues here, but it says that some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. So some of the believers had some kind of, of twist. And we think it was doctrinally twisted because he would have addressed that. He addresses the Judaizers, the, the legalistic uh, Christian Jews, uh, later on in chapter uh, 3. So we know doctrinally speaking. But they had a wrong motives. They had something going on. Maybe uh, the leaders of the church there in Rome were getting overshadowed by, uh, by, by Paul. Now the big cheese is in town, and now we're going to get, oh, man, they don't think about us. And so we got to twist him up a little bit and make him seem less. We don't know. But all we know is, is notice this. It says, the former proclaimed Christ, verse 17, out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. <laughs> but what does he say? Verse 18, what then? Or so what? Who cares? <laughs> in other words, that, that's, that's water off my, the duck's back. I mean, he, it doesn't bother him. Because he says, only that in every way, whether than from false motives or pretense or truth, Christ is preached or proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. And so here we see this joyful perspective that despite his imprisonment, despite people talking bad about him, 
I don't like people talking that about me. I don't know about you. It kind of bums me out. But, you know, when you have Jesus' perspective, especially if you're doing the will of God, it's like, who cares? Bring it on. It's all good from God's perspective. As long as God's getting proclaimed and the work is going on, should I care about myself? I, you know, in the flesh, don't we? Shake your head. Yes, you do. <laughs> you're human. You're not superheroes. <laughs> we do. It's this just perspective is sometimes hard. But with God in us, and we'll get to that in a moment, yes, we can have that perspective. And in this, I rejoice and I will, then he says, I will continue to rejoice. So I'm rejoicing, I'm having joy about what happened in the past, but I can still have great confidence in my God to continue to carry me into the future, and I will continue to rejoice. In other words, God is in control of this process. It's God's work. I, mean, I think I, I, something how you said it last week. It's God's business, right? I shouldn't be worried about it. You know, let God do his work and just let me do mine and what I'm responsible for. I'm just his ambassador, and he can do whatever he wants with me along the way, just as long as he gets the gospel out. I mean, that's paraphrasing kind of what's been going on here. Remember our, our glass illustration? Half full, half empty. Well, you know, what, what's, God, what's Paul's perspective? I will rejoice. That sounds like a half-full proposition to me. Y'all are familiar with Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? What if Paul had Eeyoreism? Oh, no. In prison again. Food's bad. Stinks in here. They're making fun of me. I don't know. I'm kind of tired of this. Could that be us? Come on. <laughs> so you, you, you see, you know, Paul is not Eeyore, and we shouldn't be either. We, we, he, he didn't say, I'm getting tired of this. He says, I rejoice. He didn't say, I'm angry with God. He said, I continue to rejoice. He didn't say, make it stop. He continues to say, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. And so, you know, Paul had joy. He had great joy. Now, we've been using that word joy here. I'm sprinkling around, and we're trying to, uh, you know, in a sense, define that. And so this idea of joy is really a difference between natural happiness and something different. Natural happiness is something that's based on circumstances. It's based on what happens in our life. It's, it's from the externals that go on around us. And we get happy about them because we like them. They, they, they do good for me. I, I, I eat a good meal or I win a million bucks or you know, the list goes on of things that could happen and I get happy about. But joy, or maybe I should say specifically spiritual joy, is that internalism, something that's inside of me that happens when I put my confidence in our Heavenly Father and His perfect work in us. It, it defies circumstances. It's a gift from God for those who seek and trust Him. And so you know, rejoicing is kind of that external. It's what I do when I have joy, right? It's how I express it. Some people are more warm and fuzzy and speak it you know, more outwardly, but everybody should have joy, and some rejoice more uh, than others. You think about these verses. We'll kind of go through them quickly. In Proverbs 17, 22, it says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but broken spirits or a broken spirit dries up the bones. What do we have? You see, we have the capacity when we have a joyful heart 
it's healthy for us. It, it keeps us in balance. But a broken spirit with a, oh, no, dries up the bones. But notice what Jesus says in John 15 about joy. It's a really an interesting concept here and how it pers- the perspective. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That whole idea of abiding in Christ, that whole idea of living in him and with him and for him is the central agent that then becomes the, you might say, we are blessed with God's joy. And I hope that for all of us. Of course, we know Galatians 5, and talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., etc. So when we're filled with the Spirit, when we have the Spirit's influence in us, that should be a natural product of the Spirit's operation, is having this joy in us. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your, what? Strength. Philippians 4, later on, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord when it's good? No, always. Again, I say rejoice. And again, rejoicing is that outwardness of what's going on inwardly. And of course, Psalm 118, 24 says, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so, you know, the, the Bible is full of, I mean, I just tipped the iceberg of all the things that God says to us about joy. So joy, Paul had this, this joyful perspective despite difficulties, because he knew his sovereign God was overseeing his present future. But now, let's, uh, let's, look at verse, let's look at these verses real quickly, and I know we're, I'm watching the time. <laughs> time is my enemy right now. Philippians, let's look at verses 19 to 20. Notice what we see here from Paul's perspective about his uh, looking for and understanding God's sovereignty in his life despite these difficulties. So he says, For I know this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager or earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that in all boldness, Christ, even now, as always, shall be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul is really addressing the fact that he believes in God's control of his life. We've used that word a few times too, sovereignty. What do we mean when we say God is sovereign? Uh, You might say it's kind of a compilation of a number of his attributes or his characteristics, that God is all-knowing. God's all-powerful. You know, he is the ruler. Uh, He's a good God. He's a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, which then kind of makes him a benevolent king that does everything according to the purpose of his will, and he does it to perfection. And so we know our lives have been sketched. It says in Ephesians that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, who God has prepared our lives beforehand, before the foundation of the earth. Do you realize that? That God knows you, knew you, and has, in a sense, created what you are to be before this creation even occurred. And now he's working it out. I got to trust in that, even when the circumstances don't feel good. And Paul is one of those that's saying, it's all good. I'm here. I'm doing it. It's all good. You know, so 
you know, he says, I, for, in verse 19, I know this will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation uh, through your prayers and the provision of Jesus Christ. So here we see two things he knows he can trust in and knows that prayer works. Prayer answers things. He's encouraged the fact that the Philippian church was praying for him. He's counting on it. He's relying on it. And he's thankful that they are because he believes prayer works. In 1 John 5, it says, And this is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he, what? Hears us. And it says, And whatsoever we ask, it's you know, in his will. So we know prayer is a part of, of life, and we, in a sense, are we changing God's mind? That's the, the mystery of the hour. Is God is sovereign, and is, is he, does he listen to us and change his mind? I don't believe he changes his mind, but we find an agreement and harmony. But there's a mystery in prayer. But don't quit praying just because you think God's got it in control. The second thing he says here, the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And there's, maybe I should put a little paraphrase here about myself. What in the world is a Baptist pastor doing in a Calvary chapel? Well, those of you who've known me for years, I've never said I'm a Baptist. I'm always a Christian with a big C, Baptist with a little B, but I would always call myself a Baptocostal. <laughs> believe in the operation work of the holy spirit and so you know I, you, i'm i'm here with you in the in the journey along the way so just to simply say believe in god's operation of the spirit and know that's so important for us to rely on the spirit and understand his work in us and through us and and how he works his his ways along the way so amen to that <laughs> but then notice what he says in verse 20 according to my earnest or eager expectation and hope now, there's two words there that are really cool, and they're word pictures that we can kind of glean from. This eager or earnest expectation literally means to stretch the neck and, ex and raise the head. It's kind of like looking around the corner when you're looking in anticipation of what's ahead. It makes me think of my kids on Christmas morning when they just can't wait to come out of their room to come see the packages, you right? We would never let them come downstairs until it was time. It's like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, what's, what, can we see the presents? What's, what's under there? That, that's what Paul is saying about himself in terms of his life, about what he's anticipating for the future because he knows God's got him in his grip. He's not scared of the future. He's not afraid of the future. He's anticipating the future. And then he says this expectation and hope. Another word for hope oftentimes is wait. They that wait upon the Lord in Isaiah, right, 40, 31, the, the idea of hope and wait are the same. It's kind of like if you've ever gone, uh, if you've ever used public transit. You think about this for a second. I like to drive because I'm in control. I get to do what I get to go where I want, when I want, when I get in. But when you go to public transit, you're kind of under their uh, timeline. What if you go to a bus stop and you, you, know, you think, okay, this bus is going to take me to where I need to go? And I look up at the little plate on the bus stop, and it says, I'll get you there when it's time. God. <laughs> no, I want it my time. Hope is knowing that when God says, get on that bus for that time, I'll get you there. I got you. And that's, that's how we need to operate when it comes to the uncertainties of, the, of what's to come. That God's got me, and he will get me there. He will take me where I need to go. And that's what Paul is saying. He believes in the sovereignty of God and how this works. Now, look at these verses for just a second as we kind of tailor this, this idea of sovereignty and maybe some good and bad examples. I'll give you a good one and a bad one together. It's in Job. Job chapter 2, 
We understand that Job went through extreme hazards, right? He lost all of his possessions. His family was killed except for his wife. And then he gets these boils on his body. And that's where we pick up in verse uh, 6 of chapter 2. It says, So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils and so, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now notice this. And he took a potsherd and scraped himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And notice this. Sorry, ladies, I'm not picking on you, but notice what it says. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> you see, in other words, what good is it? It's of no value. Life is over. Curse God and die. And see, we can do that, can't we? That, that could be our half-empty viewpoint of how we see life. But what, is, what does Job say later as he's continuing to kind of evaluate? I don't see any happiness in Job at all. So, you know, did he have joy? We're not sure, but that's not what I'm trying to get at. Notice what he says in chapter 13, where he says, though he slay me, what? Yet will I trust him or hope in him? There's that word hope. Wait, I, I don't know what's happening. I mean, we ask that right now, don't we? Sometimes in our difficulties of life, what's going on? I don't know, but I got to trust. I got to hope. I got to wait. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, stalwart verses that I hope you memorize or should memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? Make your paths straight. He's got you. He's keeping you. He will continue with you. The sovereign God, as you trust in him, will provide and make a way. Amen? And then that verse that just, I mean, just echoes. I mean, it's just it's the big verse. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Man, I mean, it just, just emanates with the, the, the sovereignty of God and, and how he wants to operate in our life. And I hope you, you take those to heart. And so you, Paul had this joyful perspective despite difficulties because he knew his sovereign God and was overseeing his present and his future life. But then finally, we just want to look and take a few minutes to look at uh, Paul in the second part. Paul had a joyful perspective because the gospel was his ultimate focus. Notice what he says here now about himself. Now, again, this is personal introspection about how he views things, his joyful perspective. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know what to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having this desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. He'd much rather die. I mean, his circumstances, he's saying, they're tough. For personal views, I, it'd be better for me to go. Yet, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with you for your progress and joy of the faith. Not my benefit, not my life, not my welfare, but for you, he's saying, for your progress and joy, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Now, what's going on here? That verse in verse 21 is like, is so 
high and lofty in my estimation. Because you think about it, for me to live, if you were to say that right now, for me to live is, and you fill in the blank. And to die is, you fill in the blank. You know, from a non-Christian viewpoint, from a non-biblical viewpoint, to die is certainly a bummer, right? I don't want to die. But Paul is going, man, it's much better than here. Why? Because it's hard right now. I'm having a hard time. But so it, that's a, eternal values are so important for us, is it not? I don't know how non-Christians live without an eternal viewpoint to know that I will soon be or can soon be in the hands of God eternally. That's something wonderfully welcomed for me. The older I get, too. <laughs> but the first part of that is so important. For me to live is, and Paul says, Christ. I just want to serve God. I just want to be able to make a difference. I, I, I just want to use my life as a way to express the kingdom. You know, Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we are not our own. Amen? We are his. We are his children. We are his ambassadors. We are his disciples. I mean, the list goes on of what we could say we are for him. But he's saying, son, I want to use you. Son, be mine. Make a difference. And that's part of the reason why I came out of retirement. I was doing some of the work for the gospel. I was doing things. I, you know, I, I certainly wasn't going and being disobedient and doing stupid things. <laughs> but he's like, what a great opportunity to ramp up a little bit. You know, God, give me a... A little more gas in the tank so I can make a few more laps around the track because I, I want to serve you. And so I'm here to hopefully say that, that for me to live and serve at Calvary is Christ. I'll retire later. <laughs> how about you? How, how do you see that? How, how do you see your life in terms of the, the motivations that implore you? I mean, th this is huge. And I'm, I, I, we could spend all morning just parked on this, this idea for me to live is, and you fill in the blank. Because that's really between you and God. It's between you and your, your, your conscience of what really motivates you in life. And what do you strive for? You know, you know the boys by the size of their toys. Or, you know, the different ways we could analyze our, our life and what we think is good or in life, you know, what we, we resonate with. But Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ. And I hope you find that. I hope you see that. I hope you also will see the half full, half empty perspective of how you're operating and how God's operating in, in your life. Let me just close it by saying this. If we don't have a joyful perspective in life, we can easily stay in the shadows of darkness that come from cynicism and doubt and fear and anger towards God that comes from our pain and our difficulties. We can become bitter. We can become resentful for, before God uh, because of our life and be like Job's wife. Curse God and die. Or we can have that joyful perspective. We can come into the light of God's presence and rest on his sovereignty and know that he is uh, with me and he's in me and he has me in his grip and he will never let go and he will guide me through the present and the future. Amen? There, I'm going to close this now. 
because there are some verses that I think just say it all, and, and I just want you to just listen to these verses. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Romans 8, 31 to 39, I think we'll have them up. Notice what Paul says after he talks about the sovereignty of God in Romans 8 and the wonders of his plan of salvation. He says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then notice this, for I am convinced, and I hope you will be too, we are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we, we want to be in your grip. We want to trust in you with our lives. And to know through Jesus, we are yours. And you have, you have us. It's hard sometimes to believe that. It's hard in the difficulties to grasp that. But I pray this morning you'll help anybody who's wrestling with that, that their difficulties their setbacks, their losses will not keep them in the shadows, but come into the light. Find you, find your faith that you want to give to them to trust. That Jesus, we thank you that you began a good work in us. You will carry it on to completion until you come back or we go home to be with you. So I pray, Lord, you'll bring anybody to you that needs to see a new way, a new light about you. In Jesus' name. Amen.